right, well, welcome back to uh, another episode of Sheep Stuff You Should Know. This is Ryan Mahoney, uh, and uh, today I am joined by my friend Travis Crop from Arkansas, correct? That's where, correct. Where exact are you in Arkansas, Travis? So we're close to Nashville, which is in the southwest corner, which we're basically an hour from Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana. So we're Darn. tucked down there in the corner. And what what's uh what what's it? Oh, well, first, how, how do you how how am I supposed how am I supposed to pronounce Arkansas? Is it Arkansas? Ar- Arkansas? Arkansas. 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 I don't want to get a southern roll on it though. Arkansas. Arkansas. All right, there you got <laughs> got to sneak in some W's. But yeah, sorry. I always I always get that mixed up. Sometimes I end up I like to. I like to intentionally mispronounce words to my kids to kind of teach them like linguistic stuff yeah. every once in a while. And our, our Arkansas is one of those fun ones, like Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. But or, we call know. ourselves Arkansans, so it's a little bit really, like, yeah. So we we're Arkansans from Arkansas. I'll be darn. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, yeah, oh, if you it. could, if you could, I I just if you could maybe introduce yourself as to who you are and where, you know, describe a little bit more of the area that you're in yeah. and, and where, you know, what, what you produce and raise and, and we'll just take it from there. Sure. So I'm Travis Krupp. Uh, I've got a wife, Denise and four, four children, uh, three boys. And we got a little baby girl that's seven months. So we've got our hands full with that. Our oldest is nine. So uh, we live in the Southwest corner of Arkansas, like we mentioned a little bit, a bit ago. And uh, we think this is God's country. I, I know some of y'all think that you live in God's country, and you do, but we like it here. We're a, we're a multi-generational family farm. we pretty diversified. We, we raise contract broilers, and we have a contract with uh, Vital Farms for producing free-range pastured eggs. And then we raise beef cattle and sheep as well. So, so it keeps us hopping. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good spread there. So you got eggs and broilers and cattle and sheep. That's right. Correct. And and um are you is it primarily uh grass? I mean, I've seen some of your Instagram. Your Instagram's pretty cool to see the feed, how much tonnage of feed you're able to grow down there is pretty impressive. Um, but but what is it? Are you primarily grass based or are you bringing in feed stuffs or how do you Primarily grass-based. So we have, uh, to share a little bit about how our climate is, uh, so we have wet, moderate winters and hot, humid summers. So a lot of people ask us, so does it get cold there in the wintertime? We, we get cold. Uh, it'll, it's not uncommon to have freezing temperatures, but here's maybe the difference. We might have 25 in the morning, then it'll warm up to 45 or 50 during the day. So we always have, there's a pretty good range going on where it, we get frost and we get, we usually get one snow per winter. But that being said, we can somewhat grow like ryegrass and fescue will somewhat grow during the winter months uh, if we have an easier winter, particularly. Oh, yeah. So we don't. You never freeze hard either. You'll freeze, but not no, freeze hard. Two, two years ago, uh, what is this, 22? Well, it would have been in February of 
uh, was it just 21? We had record cold. We had 13 degrees below zero, and that was just crippling to us. I mean, I that, that shut, snow. That shut down crazy. Texas. I was trying to buy electric <laughs> fence wire out of Texas, and that freeze shut down their plants. Yeah, it was. It made a mess of things here. Oh. Uh, coincidentally, my wife and I were going to a meeting in Pennsylvania right over that time, and my dad was kind of watching the stuff here at home. He thought it was pretty bad that he had to weather that storm by himself, but we, we got through it. Okay. Oh, good. How, so, how, so yeah, we don't, we don't really bring in a lot of feed stuff. We we're lucky enough that we live in a place where we can grow grass just about year round, not quite. So one goal that we're trying to work towards is, is, is eliminating or at least cutting drastically down on the amount of hay that we feed and and we're slowly getting there and so that hay uh you're you're cutting pastures and putting it up over the summer right. and then feed it out over the winter we we've gotten into well we've been doing this uh we've been doing the haylage thing putting it up wet for six or seven years now uh which we get a lot of rain in the springtime so it's hard to put up quality hay so the the, the wrapping the silage aspect of it has really changed. It's an extra cost, but uh, we we really like that. What's that like? I mean, I'm I, I don't we don't do anything like that here. We have hot, dry summers, so our mm -hmm. hay goes up dry. And and except for the first farmers, they always like to bait in some rainstorms once they <laughs> put stuff down. But can you explain that process of that haylage and and how that how that works? And so so yeah so so let me back up just a little bit so we don't have any set aside hay fields we we try to spread we try to be mindful of where we take grass off because as we do that we take nutrients off and if we don't replace that obviously that'll affect us down the road so we kind of shift around so we kind of grab stuff when we feel it's ready and the weather's right so we'll cut it with a hay mower and depending on the weather, you know, if you're up into the eighties temperature wise. So like this spring, for example, we cut in the afternoon and the evening, say on a Monday and by 10 o'clock on Tuesday, we were bailing already. It was, we had a dry spring and the grass was, didn't have a lot of water content. It was, it was more of a dry mature grass, but sometimes that can be, depending on the weather and the grass, it can go out to a day. You cut it on a Monday and bail it on a Wednesday even. But so you get it at the right, preferably 40 to 50% moisture content and you roll it up. And then we, we put all ours into a, uh, a tube, wrap them in a tube. It's not individual. So it looks like a big, long, white hot dog where however long space you have, you can put hundreds of bales in one tube and wrap it with plastic. So you take those rolled bales, line them up, and then stretch the yeah, plastic across. It feeds, and you feed it, them into a machine, actually, that wraps them, and it drives itself along. Yeah. Huh. Makes great feed. We've discovered that even if your grass is a little on the mature side and you've got some stems, the, the process of the fermentation breaks it down. And we don't feed, I mean, honestly, we don't feed any other supplements to our cattle or sheep during the wintertime. Besides just grazing stockpile and feeding some of this haylage and, and a little bit of dry hay as well. Yeah. yeah you, so that, that, that's haylage, haylage is the right term, right? Uh, people call or it haylage, baylage, silage. I don't know. Cause silage, the, all three. <laughs> the dairies do a lot of silage out here. They just green right. chop stuff and throw it in a pile. And so that's kind of a hybrid in between. 
but man, we, I've, I've had, we've, we've had barns burn up from, you know, like 10% moisture. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, yeah. what, I guess once you get that plastic tube on there, you pretty much just let them yeah, be for, yeah. yeah you just, need to watch it and make sure your, your plastic doesn't get holes in it because it can get oxygen and then it gets mold, but it's, uh, yeah. it's not a lot of upkeep. It's yeah. I mean, it's right. an extra cost, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. Well, especially if you're sitting at the humidity you guys got yeah. during the summers. So what, that. what what's that summer like back there? Because I mean that's <laughs> always the criticism of southern weather is the southern summer. Well, so. there, there's something to it. I'll be honest. Now we we uh and probably the thing that that gets most people that move in here from it just it 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 lasts for three months. Yeah. It's not like well, you we're gonna have a hot spell this week and it'll cool down next. I mean, you may have you may have some real heat and humidity from, from mid June till September 1st. I mean, it just, it goes on and on and on. Does the grass grow in that heat? Yes. So we're fortunate. Uh, so I, I don't know. I said, this is God's country. I love it here. I believe me, but we do have some challenges everywhere. It does yeah. everywhere. You're right. You're right. So one of our challenges is, is our transition from going from cool season grasses to our summer grasses here. And we usually, we get a spring that we can grow, which you you've seen a little bit. We can grow grass. I mean, it, we can just grow it. It grows. And that's going to be clovers and rye grass. What types clovers, of grass? Rye grass, fescue. We even see a little bit of orchard grass, not a lot. That's primarily in the shaded areas. Um, but as we transition out of that, we have to be careful and either we, we need to cut it for hay or we need to trample it down and graze it hard. If you don't, you'll, you'll make so much shade that your summer grasses, be it Bermuda, Bahia, Johnson grass, Gamma grass, Dallas grass, all those things can't come in. So it's kind of like you have to, you have to manage that spring flush, but not take too much, but then you want to, you have to kind of switch gears and start thinking about summer grass. It kind of takes a different mindset to manage that type of growth. And it's just, it makes it a little challenging to be honest. Yeah. So, um, there's a, so on your, um, we, so on our irrigated pastures, we run into similar issues, uh, different, uh, different seasons, everything, but in the spring we have a great flush of ryegrass and and clovers. And then, um, right now the ryegrass is pretty much peaked, but then it ends up you either graze it off or it dies off. And then you're left with your clover in the summer. And so you have this stocking rate issue that you're always trying to balance of, you need a lot of animals for a short amount of time, and then you need to back them off. Um, and so my, why, and like I said, we do it through stalker animals on our clover. We just buy more and then sell more. And that's how we're able to move the inventory. But um, do you want to explain the, the type you run mostly cow, calf and, and use and, and how do you, you know, Correct. talk about your animals a little bit. Sure. Sure. Some of our animals might somehow get the back burner. I, I love grass and watching it grow and yeah. doing things with it, but no, I love our animals as well. So we have a, well, us Southerners call a mama, a mama cow operation where we, yeah. we have females and raise, you know, their offspring to, Basically, we kind of shoot for a uh, 600, five to 600 pounds when we wean. And then we just, we, we background some of them occasionally, but we sell most of them, just wean them and sell them. 
Yeah. So we have you sell that, through like auction barn or how do you? Yeah, uh, we have sent some to to feed lots and stuff, but I don't know. We're not we're we're a little bit smaller operation. We only have a few hundred cows. It's not we don't yeah. really have a lot of numbers that we can maybe play with. So for us, it works the best by the time we wean our our fall calves. So so we have fall calvers and spring calvers basically split evenly. So we'll wean our fall calves from. So let's say this is June. So we'd have calves that were born last fall. We'll wean those in the next 30 days. So that kind of helps us as we go into the hotter, drier months. And we may not grow as much grass. We can get rid of some calves. And that'll you know, set us up on into the summer for our mother cows. And then our spring calvers, you know, obviously they're just finishing up or have finished up. And then we'll sell those about November. So it gives yeah. us a little bit of flexibility on that end to, uh, you know, move some stuff around where we're not doing like you guys. Maybe well, that'll help, you, that'll help your stocking rates and stuff yeah, too, where you does. got those calves in the spring, summer, and then you get to lay them off as it a grass. Help that. So yeah, we have, we have the mama cows and then we have uh, recently, well, I say recently, the last five years, six years now, we've gotten into sheep and that's uh that's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let, let's talk about that. What kind of sheep you got? You run Katahtans or? Yeah. Which let me, let me add this. This is actually how, how I met Ryan. So five, five years ago, I guess we were on yeah. a, on a 10 year anniversary trip and we stopped in, made a connection through social media Yeah. and found Ryan and he was, uh, very gracious and showed us around, took, took time out of his busy day. So we've kind of kept up since then. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. So no, we were I, on... I, you know, I knew you were a sheep man immediately when I met you guys because <laughs> you you took your your vacation anniversary and turned it into a ranch tour. Right. So, <laughs> ten, ten year anniversary to boot. <laughs> yeah. So well, so yeah, cool. we run primarily Katahdin, which is a hair sheep. We don't we don't have to shear. Uh, we do have some Dorper influence, and that's actually something we want to look into a little bit more. Uh, it seems the Dorpers actually raise a little bit more meaty carcass, but they do have their downside as well. And I, from what we've seen, they have a little bit more feed issues, and they're probably a little bit more parasite prone. So parasites is our biggest, biggest problem in this country with all our moisture. So we get normally we get between 45 and 65 inches of rain a year so we we can it makes so we can grow grass obviously but in the same time in those hot humid conditions the parasites is a real problem for us so it, no, you can't freeze a, them out neither no we don't yeah we don't have a hard hard freeze that cuts them back like that so we have to be very mindful of managing that and and to be honest We've had quite a journey in learning and we're still learning, but do you have, do you have the same issue on your cattle? No, we don't. Yeah. Cattle seem like a breeze compared to the sheep. I mean, they're do, just, do, uh, you, do you think that's just the nature of a cow's ability to handle parasite pressure versus a sheep or I think so. Is that, is I mean, that you, you know, product of climate? I definitely, they definitely I mean, show it, but yeah, I, I mean, you know how sheep are. I mean, if they can change so fast, I mean, everything can be looking good and, and, uh, and they can just wear a cow to me seems a cow can maybe weather through that period a little bit better. 
yeah. and not just fall over dead at the snap of a finger like a like a sheep does sometimes. Yeah, you got to get on them so quick with the I sheep. And once they turn, they turn fast and furious. Whereas those cows, you got like a, you can see a problem and say, oh, I think I'll get to it on Friday. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas sheep, you see a problem, you're like, hey, everybody round up, we're going. <laughs> Better <laughs> so, get on it right now. No, that's yeah. correct. So we found, and we're still finding out that adapted genetics is going to be our key here i believe so when we first started out we were looking for a lot of numbers because we had bought a new place and we wanted to stock it with sheep and we decided to go that route so we brought in sheep from different states and whoo that was a yeah that was a learning experience they're bringing in that many different animals and you had disease problems they weren't used to each other so we're finding so we're selecting our own replacements out of our flock and we're actually we're we're we've got another local producer here they're pretty small scale but they've been in it quite a number of years we buy some rams from them so i feel that we're trying to get our parasite resistance through our rams and i i think we're getting there i think we're actually making progress do do you um is it more important to buy rams that kind of have those resistant traits or is it more important to select within your ewe lambs or raise your own ewe lambs and you know what which which mentality harvests the most reward you know raising that ewe lamb or uh i don't know from my unscientific observation yeah i think it's both but i think almost in a sense you can make a bigger difference with rams sooner i I may be wrong you may say the opposite yeah i i'd uh i would i agree yeah i agree with you that you could make a bigger difference sooner with the rams but the only way you make the difference is if you pay attention to those you so you definitely got to do both but but yeah that because that I don't know. It's easy to go out and look at numbers and buy a Ram. It's really yeah. hard to look at your use, your oh, yeah. U lambs and say, I know what this is going to look like in three years. Yeah, you're correct. And that's yeah. something we struggle with, which I, I what about foot rec- problems? You have any foot issues? Not a lot. And, uh, I remember a really smart sheep rancher from California shared something with me, uh, Ryan about <laughs> using Zach Tran yeah uh, a cattle drug but yeah no we don't really have much after we implemented that yeah uh, we we have cases here and there but not not something i would consider a problem no you know there just this is an aside but there's a bit of a i guess so i probably shouldn't even say this on air but um there's <laughs> a that uh drax in the macrolite class antibiotics they're going through mm-hmm. a huge price drop there's a bunch of there's some generics coming out Really? And it's getting hyper competitive, and that price oh, is just interesting falling off a cliff. So I didn't realize. Talk, that. talk to your vet and talk to your <laughs> supplier. You might be able to shave a little yeah. money off there. There you go. Because that's expensive, but man, trimming feet is expensive. Yeah, and back breaking. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did that the first year we had them. We which we only had, I want to say around four hundred ewes in, and my dad one of my younger brothers and myself and and a hired hand or two, we decided we're going to go through the whole flock. And we said after that, you know what, we got to come up with a better, something better. We got a coal. We're not going to do this on and on. That was like a, a all day back breaking chore. And, uh, yep. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know firsthand. That's how I, I don't know if I said it on, on air, but that's how I learned how to say, what time is it in Spanish? Okay. I was like 14, 13, 14 years old. And my grandpa put me to work trimming feet in the barn with a guy named Pancho and, um, and my cousin Gabe. And like every five minutes I'd ask Gabe, how do you say, what time is it? And then I'd ask Pancho, que hora es, que hora es. And he'd look at me and be like, ah, not lunchtime. <laughs> that was, oh man, that was great. That was like a week straight, but <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, uh, that's good. So, um, on your Katahdins, um, I mean, you said you select for the, from the breeder. Do you, do you look at the breeder data at all when you're making those decisions or is it just you know, that trusted breeder with a similar climate? Pretty much that's, and actually, honestly, next week, there's a, a Midwest stud ram sale in Missouri at coincidentally, we have a family reunion the same week in the same town. So I'm thinking I might want to try to hit that up, but yeah. no, in the past, we basically selected from right here locally and there's just a handful of guys yeah. but we just felt that with i don't know with our climate there's not a lot of sheep here close and we just felt that we could maybe gain an advantage just eyeballing it does yeah. this ram look good does he have good feet does he have a good confirmation and going that route yeah no i there there's so much value in getting things that were raised in your own climate, yeah. you know, your best replacements are the ones off your ranch. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a, that's a big key for us in our cattle yeah. and our sheep is our adaptive genetics for how we do it here and the climate that we're in the grasses that we grow. Yeah. And I'm not saying it, it can't work to bring other stuff in, but it brings its own set of challenges. So on that same thought, um, you, I think you put up a story about some, your cows eating off a of poisonous, plant here the other day yeah. and you want to and dan talks about this all the time about how those his sheep have learned how to eat different weeds that normally sheep aren't supposed to eat uh, you know how have you seen that play out on your ranch and how have you kind of groomed your livestock to, to encourage that so so let me go back a, a lot of years actually to start this story so back in the mid 90s uh this, i'm just gonna set the context for how we got to this point so back in the mid nineties, my dad, I would have been just a young shaver back then. My dad built a grass based or a grass dairy. He built one of the very first New Zealand style parlors in this part of the country. And there wasn't many in the whole US at that time. We had a man come over from New Zealand by the name of Ian Singers. He built the parlor for us and we milked jerseys. And we milked it for, and I, and I love that. My dad doesn't have good memories of that time, but that's a whole other story, but I loved it. I got up, milk cows. It just, I can still get up early and I give credit to having to get up before school to milk. We milked, uh, I think 140 cows, 170 maybe if memory serves. Anyway, so we were introduced to rotational grazing. So this Ian Singer's brother, Graham Singer's would have came over as a consultant after we got up and running and helped us set up our grazing. So that was our first taste of electric fence, you know, all that good stuff of rotating. I mean, around here, the conventional wisdom is, you know, buy an 80, put out 40 cows and let them there for the year. I mean, that's just, that's how people operate. So fast forward to the late nineties, we were hit with a bad, bad drought. And going back to the adaptive genetics, the cattle we brought in were not adapted. Dad ended up losing everything. 
We went completely broke. So that kind of led into a series of a whole other story of us moving out of state, but neither here nor there. So we came back to this area in 2002, which right at 20 years ago, and we got bought a farm, which dad and mom still live on. And we kind of just added to that over the years. So we always remember the rotational grazing part. And I started looking into, you know, mob grazing and ultra high density grazing and all these different terms. And I think we could do better at it than we are, which as we build up our infrastructure, we're getting there. But so what I'm getting to is in a long way about, we have just found that if you turn your cattle, your sheep into a paddock that has a soil that's at least, I like to think it's somewhat balanced. You know, we don't, we don't like to use the word weeds around here. It, it's forbs. It's, uh, I mean, what is a weed, honestly? And we just see that it's a grass, cattle, it's a grass farmers don't like. <laughs> <laughs> We're just seeing that if you give cattle the choice, and a lot of these weeds, and you know this, have deep roots. They bring up minerals from deep underground. And if you give a cow a, a smorgasbord of a buffet of things to choose from, uh, we just find they eat so much, so much of the stuff that farmers around here and ranchers around here spend lots of money and chemicals on to kill. We find that our sheep and really our, our cattle even will eat it. And it's just a win-win for us. I love it. I get so excited when I, when I see cows out there eating the leaves off of dog bane, I just, I get, I just get excited. It just pumps me up. It's just, there's something we're, we're missing something, folks. Now, I just wish people could see that. Don't, don't view it, think you have to have a straight, clean Bermuda pasture to raise cattle. I mean, there's so much other good stuff out there if we just open our minds up. Yeah. And if you did, and if you end up with that straight, smooth Bermuda pasture, you end up, I mean, that a lot of times that's a product of overgrazing Absolutely. and the product, and it's, you're losing so much in that. Absolutely. Um, we had, we had, uh, you know, we we try a lot of stuff on a ranch. We don't get everything perfect, but this year we had a bunch of like 86 pairs on one field and we set stock them, uh, just out of, it just happened that way. We were busy. And so that one stayed in this one spot. And then we had another bunch of like 48 and they were in the field right next to the same soil type, same rain, same water system, same, you know, the water's all off the same well, everything's the same, but that bunch of 50 in the road, the acre ratios are pretty similar. The uh, 50 we rotated, the other ones we didn't, the rotated ones weaned off at 860 pounds or sorry, 760 wow. pound steers and the, um, non-rotated ones were 710. So we had like 50 pounds difference wow. in that rotated feed versus the set stock feed. And that doesn't even get into the diversity of grasses and all that other stuff. But when you really get into some of those super diverse pastures, man, it, it just, the gains tremendous and they don't oh. need as much mineral. They don't need the supplementation. They just, it's amazing that, how they select and work through. That's, that feed. Uh, I'm glad you brought up mineral. That reminded me, you know, we don't feed a lot of mineral. To be honest, we put out salt, but we've just found that as our soils come into balance more, and I don't, I don't even feel that we're there yet, but we're working on it. 
Well, in these two pastures, the pH was all screwed up on them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That could I could definitely improve, but man, yeah. yeah, yeah. So sorry to cut you off. No, that's <laughs> fine. So I, it's just so you can save money there, and honestly, think the mineral thing in my mind, from what I've seen, is a little bit overblown. Maybe I mean, you've got people out there trying to sell you. I'm not saying minerals not necessary and good, but again, if you get your soil into into more of a balance. And you start grazing all these different grasses and forbs and legumes that have deep roots that go down. You you won't need as much mineral. We, we're just starting yeah. to see that. Well, yeah, that, and I've always felt like target supplementation, like you, you're able to target mm-hmm. better your supplementation rather than just feeding mineral. I mean, so mm-hmm. many we've done, I, I've, we've done so much different mineral stuff. We've done custom blends. We've done chelated for sheep. We've done this for the mm-hmm. cows. We've done, I mean, we've done almost everything you can do. And every time we go through the whole exercise, we end up just coming back to like, no, just throw the trace salt block and <laughs> let in. Cause they, yeah, there's just so, so it's, it's so hard to get it right and get the, get the consumption even. And there, but there's a huge industry that likes yeah. to push it. And if you get wow. that, if you can get the rest of that animal health, right, those minerals tend to be in balance. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then the other side of it too, is like, uh, when you do feed hay, know the kind of hay you're feeding, and then you don't have to supplement exactly. with the minerals. If you feed real thin, empty hay, then you probably need a lot. But if yeah. you're feeding some alfalfa or you're blending something, you you can get away with not that, feeding. Too speaking much. of alfalfa, that's one thing I am jealous of you guys. We, we don't <laughs> have alfalfa here. Well, but. heck, in California, they cut everybody's water out. I don't think there's any alfalfa mm. than just what's here in Dixon. So, oh it's, wow, it's pretty bad this year. I see. That's yeah. crazy. We're paying like I think the last quote I got was uh, I think the farmers are getting like three ninety in the field or something. Wow, I mean, a ton. That's crazy. So, so around here, just for comparison, around here, you, which Bermuda doesn't compare to alfalfa, but it's what what we consider our best stuff. So, good Bermuda hay would be probably a third of that, yeah. just around a hundred dollars or one hundred twenty-five a ton, maybe. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty severe. The drought, the drought in California, and and different things like that. It, it and wow. just the, the no water is uh it's pretty pretty tough and then the number of acres that have gone out from kind of row crop type Mm -hmm. production and into permanent crops like trees and stuff it's taken a lot of alfalfa acres out so so you guys had a pretty good winter though didn't you and spring uh we did here in rio vista so our little region did we probably had the best winter and spring we've ever had but you go 30 miles north, 30 miles south, and 30 miles east, and it's pretty severe. So oh, wow. we just, we really kind of got blessed with some targeted rains. We had wow. 10 inches on like 36 hours, and then it was just beautiful growing weather the rest yeah. of the year. It just things never looked back. It was incredible. Wow. And our, yeah. And it showed in our weaning weights and our concept. We just were getting through our preg checks, and the conception has been phenomenal. And yeah, it's just oh, that's awesome. Yeah. After last year where it was the exact opposite of all that, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of nice. So, yeah. Um, well, anyway, sorry, I distracted you a bit from your grass story there, but so you, you're, you're, um, you encourage the diversity within the, do you focus on soil health or how do you measure that soil health question? Are you pulling samples? Are you looking at the 
grasses themselves? Are you looking at the grazing? What exactly? Some, some we do some soil tests. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit more on a schedule that we, because I'm really interested in organic matter. That's probably what interests me the most. But I'm a visual person. I just I look at things. Uh, how do the cattle look? How does their manure look? Um, you know what? You no, know, we have. A, a fair amount of acres we can play with. So, you know, obviously considering soil types. Uh, so I don't know, probably pretty unscientific kind of yeah. by the seat of my pants too much, maybe, but. But then in looking at them, are you, are you looking at the animals grazing off or are you looking at the grasses themselves or both? Uh, try to do both, but really I'm trying to focus more this year in the, in the past couple of years, especially more on not, letting animal performance suffer for the benefit of improving ground, if that makes sense. In other words, trying makes, to keep a balance. That uh, makes perfect sense. I, I, I think in the long run, if you, your animals look healthy looking animals are reflective of healthy pastures. Yeah. And so if yeah. they're, if they start to suffer because you think you need to push down or you think you need to do this, oftentimes you can run into some problems. I, I, you know, overthink things. I think that's right. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So have you seen any improvements since taking on the sheep or what do you think about the sheep experiment? You guys have gone. We really love it. Um, yeah. My family loves it, especially which down here, uh, you get into, you know, we call them Bremers, Brahmins, uh, the eared cattle that are just, you know, they're a little bit more feisty and, and you don't really want to put your nine-year-old out in the pens with them. And they'll, in fact, yeah. we just got done working a group of cattle uh, over on our other ranch just in the last couple of weeks. And we had one cow that jumped a six foot fence, just like it was nobody's business. I mean, you have to be on your toes. Yeah. So my family loves to work sheep and they can all go out. My boys can help. They're just so different than the cows. But I think we'll always have both because of the the advantage that we can gain with a leader follower rotation with parasite management. And this yeah. day and age, you about have to be a little diversified in agriculture. You won't make it, it seems like. Do you do you 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 said you do leader follower? Do you like that better than commingle and running them? You how do you well honestly we've done both and I would like to co-mingle, but our infrastructure is not completely set up good yeah. enough over our whole place everywhere, which we're working on that throughout the years. But another thing that I always was nervous about was putting in, you know, a group, a mob of four or 500 ewes with 500 lambs and putting them out in tall, deep grass and in small areas. I was always afraid that the lambs would get trampled. I don't, I've yeah. never done it really with small lambs. I've done it more with dry use and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I might experiment with that next year. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, we, we co-mingle pretty much everything, but the lambs, okay. the lambs stay separate until after they're marked. So they're going to be at least, they'll be a month old at okay. least. And usually we wait, you know, two months if we can. Right. But then, you know, you're looking at like a 50 pound lamb after two, three yeah. months. So. so do you feel there's an advantage in, in co-mingling? Uh, we're set up because we're all permanent fence. And so we, we find benefit from it. I like it a lot. Um, and, and we've sometimes depending on the feed rather than like 
run one in and and then like run them separate and then run in and then one run the other we'll put like the sheep in a day early or two days early and then move the cattle in okay and then kind of you know that because the cattle in my head the cattle are more volume consumers they're not a selective the sheep are very selective and so the sheep kind of go in and pick out a lot of the good stuff or dig down to the the base of the plant whereas the cows are going to go and they just kind of lap up the grasses or what they want so yeah i think you're right there yeah but then you send the sheep in and you take all those good stuff and the cows don't get it so you know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not scientific enough to know it i gotta ask dan or rosie on that one yeah yeah likewise we just yeah yeah we're just learning every day that's we try to keep an open mind and and we we realize we're gonna make mistakes. We just hope our mistakes aren't as bad as that they really affect the bottom line. And we just keep yeah. trying to adapt and learn. Do you? Uh, what about the? I mean, you t- you mentioned the internal parasites. Do you have issues with the external parasites too? Uh, as far as well, performance on the animals. I mean, I know you got like ticks and all sorts of oh, biting insects and stuff. No, or- that doesn't really affect the sheep. I thought you might have been referring to the big external parasites like predators. Uh, that's oh, well, that, we can talk, we can talk about them later. <laughs> uh, I don't think that the external parasites bother hair sheep, maybe as much as wool sheep. Yeah. That's just my own scientific observation. I don't know what the studies show, right. but we don't do anything as far as lice or ticks or anything yeah. for the sheep. I think if you have a pretty comprehensive deworming schedule, I mean, they're, yeah. they're going to, if you're using, depends on what you're using, but if it's in the bloodstream, if they, if the anti-parasitic is in the bloodstream, the biting parasites will right. die from it and not want it. So, But see, it, the interesting thing is speaking of ticks, we don't have a lot of ticks here. We have oh, yeah. some, but we have fire ants and Ooh. fire ants take care of the ticks. I'll so be darned. it's kind of a. <laughs> they bought the livestock at all? Do what? Do the ants bother the livestock at all? No. And here's the funny thing, the interesting thing I should say. If you, cows and sheep do it both, they will graze the grass. They'll target the grass that grows out of an anthill. Yeah. And I think that's literally because they're bringing minerals up from deep underground. And yeah. the grass that goes out of it is rich in it. That's only that's my scientific observation. Yeah. I'm well, sure. it's going to be softer ground. I mean, they're, yeah. they're turning it over, kind of like yeah. a plow. But but no, the fire ants don't really bother animals that I'm aware of. But do you uh, have any? Do you have any animal like odd, strange animals that bother the livestock that someone from California wouldn't think of? No, we have armadillos, but they don't do anything except make yeah. holes. I don't know if you guys have those. No, none of them. Uh, we got the. One of our biggest issues is bees. Bees? Yeah, we got beehives that they'll put out all over the ranches, and then they just they get to the water troughs, and you can't get them off the water troughs, and they'll they'll really? keep the the sheep won't drink. There's bees on it, wow, and then the no, cows every once problem. in a while, like one will sting a cow, and then boom, you got them just bolting all the way across the field. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Yeah, but I don't know. It's no, it's so don't. dry. Uh, venomous snakes. We do see some snake bites, uh, particularly yeah. on cattle. Uh, seems the sheep don't get affected by it. I don't know if they're not a, quite as adventurous as where they graze, but huh, we don't see it a lot, but we will see you know, a snake bite on a cow every now and then. You think the sheep are more aware? I wonder. I wonder if they are. Oh, that's interesting. Either that or maybe like the types of things they're targeting 
the snakes don't like to be in yeah. as much as the cattle. Yeah, cattle are like that, ripping up their home. The sheep's right. like and the cattle would get down into the more wet grounds, swampy ground easier, yeah. and the sheep prefer to keep their feet dry. Yeah. So there's probably a little bit of that too. Hmm. Well, what uh, predator? You brought up predators. What's your predator issues down there? Well, I mean coyotes which i'm sure you have those but we run yeah. guard dogs but probably our biggest problem is just neighbor dogs really domestic and i dogs. think the guard dogs aren't quite as alert and vigilant about neighbor dogs as they are coyotes and and to be honest we have a neighbor with a german shepherd that has killed more sheep than any coyote yeah and he doesn't want to own up to it and i've seen him do it and it's kind yeah. of a touchy situation but so a neighbor dogs is probably our worst Actually. And they're just playing. That's the worst. They play. Yeah, they're not eating. They're just playing. The coyotes like the tax man. You just got to pay up. <laughs> <laughs> the worst one I ever found was oh, probably three or four years ago. I went out to check some ewe lambs one morning, and I went through the gate of the paddock and I saw one dead lamb. Like oh no, and I look off. Yep. And long story short, I made a circle of the paddock. And there was twenty dead ewe lambs, yep. all bit to the neck. It looked like somebody just chased them around the field and killed them as they went. We had a we had a dog get into one of our irrigated pastures one morning, and I think we ended up losing fourteen lambs. Ouch! And um, we got the dogs rounded up, and we found out who they belonged to. We drove up to the house, and I said, "I found your dogs." And then the the husband and wife just started crying. Like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much! That's our disabled daughter's comfort animal." Oh boy. And so I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh. What <laughs> well, your comfort animal just slaughtered 13 lambs. I <laughs> like you gotta, oh boy. Oh man, it's so tough. It's really hard. And it's because it's hard to manage those situations too, because yeah. you just gotta be honest and tell them what's going on. And yeah, they have it. That was that was pretty tough. Yeah, <laughs> well, know? that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But we got more people, so I got higher odds of trouble like that. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, um, what you mentioned about like getting your family out there and working the lifestyle, how, how important is that to you in, in the, in what you do and you know, how you're trying to run your business and raise your family. I mean, family and business is so connected in ag, uh, you know, you want to just maybe talk a little bit about why that's so important to you. Well, I'm I assuming it, it is. Oh uh, yeah, very much. Uh, it's, it's, it has to be near the top of the list for me. Uh, so I, I get accused. So, so let me back up a little bit here. So myself, one of my younger brothers, my dad are partners and, and I'm probably the least business minded of them all. I, I say that I, I love what I do. I do it for free if I could, I mean, I don't yep. do it for money. So I'm probably a little bit more focused on the family aspect and maybe not the business end of it, but I think it's so important. I mean, I, I just, I want my boys and my daughter now to be able to make a choice. I don't, if they don't want to do this, that's, that'll be their choice once they're of that age. But I just, I love being able to, you know, be here with them. And I think I probably take it for granted too much that I get to work six days a week with my family. And there's a lot of people that can't do that. And yeah, it, it has its own challenges, but I think it's, it's, yeah, it's hard yeah, work. It's, yeah. It is hard work. And I, but I think that's such a beautiful lesson. I, you know, I'm similar in that. I love, I love having my family out. I wish I could have them out working more, but you know, they're in school and now they're getting mm -hmm. into sports and stuff, but still like that, that experience doing hard work on the farm 
with live animals and like dealing with nature and understanding your actions have consequences. Consequences are severe. (laughs) And even, even also with that, just life and death as well. I mean, my, my sons understand that, you know, death is as much as part of life out here on the farm. And it's not like, you know, they've, they've seen their favorite lamb die or their favorite dog die where maybe they get exposed to some more of that stuff that a lot of people might not experience until they're like way over. Well, yeah, we, we definitely try to hide it. I think from, you know, when you get into more urban settings, they pretend Mm -hmm. like death doesn't exist. Whereas you work, you work one week on the ranch, you can't hide, you can't hide from it. You got, you, you got to come to grips with it and that's right. Being able to understand how to, how to get up and go to work the next day is a really valuable lesson. And, um, yeah, I, I always love that opportunity for my kids. So yeah, likewise. Yeah. What, how old do they have to be to really start contributing? Like work, you know, work-wise. I would, I would say, so my nine-year-old, he, uh, he can drive tractor. I maybe shouldn't yeah. say this on air. But <laughs> <laughs> he can drive tractor and truck, and he's hauled hay for me. And yeah. you know, he's super handy. My six-year-old is not not there yet, but you no, know, he can drive a four-wheeler. Yeah. I would say once they hit six or seven, I kind of expect that they yeah. need to go with me to chore, and and that's when they're not in school, obviously. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I push them too hard. I don't know, but they, they do great. And I think that yeah. they like it. Yeah. You know, my kids love coming out. I mean, they just, they absolutely love it. They, they complain when it's hard, but at the same time they love it. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think with my kids, it was definitely around, I, I'd say maybe a year or two older, but I, my oldest are girls. So, uh, yeah. you know, they're probably a difference. Yeah. A little bit in the way they engage They're de- I mean, they're definitely, um, Oh, my, my boy, he likes to just go, you know, he doesn't think and go and my girls think. (laughs) And so (laughs) I think that might be part of why, um, but yeah, they, I mean, even from like five, six years old, they were out there in the bummer Mm -hmm. pen feeding lambs and like, you know, helping, you know, legitimately helping. Yeah. And now the two older ones that, you know, they can almost be on their own. I give them a job and walk away and it'll be done when I get back. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's so nice. No, I'm, I'm sure that you guys deal with health issues in California as well as we do, but I know it seems like we always struggle to find good, competent help. And we actually had an employee quit just last week that's been with us for a number of years and uh, moved on to what he thinks is a better job. And I, I told him, so that if you can better your life, go for it. So it left a hole. So my boys, you know, it seems like, we go through stretches where we, we try to fill in gaps for, we have so many different things going on. And I, I keep reminding myself that Travis, don't put too much pressure on your kids. If they're still kids, they need yeah. to do kid things for a little bit yet. So that that's something I need to be careful about. Yeah. 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 And then it's also important too. I think, you know, running a ranch, you are running a business and you got to make sure you don't become dependent on that. Yeah. you know, that help, you know, you got to make sure you account for it somehow. Yeah, I know. Uh, That's right. Then when they grow up and leave, all of a sudden you're blindsided <laughs> with a cost you didn't know existed. You know? Know. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Have, have you, I mean, you mentioned the chickens. Um, do you, how do they kind of complement your operation or how do you fit them in? So I know so the sheep stuff, but yeah. So the broiler chickens, uh, which we raised those on a contract for Tyson. So we would, 
One advantage of that is, is the, the litter, the manure that we get, it's ours. So that's, that's our only fertilizing that we use. We don't use any sort of other chemical fertilizers. What's and the NPK of that? That's pretty hot. Uh, I've done an analysis on it. It's, it's not as hot as you think it might be. Our, our layer litter manure is a little bit better as far as it's higher in calcium and it's got a little bit more nitrogen, but I can't tell you off the top of my head. I would say the broiler litter is probably like a may barely a 10, 10, 10, yeah. somewhere in that range, maybe eight, eight, eight. But I think there's, there's something going on there that it, it kicks above its weight. That's good balance. As, I thought chicken manure was a little out of balance. I thought it was higher in the end than. Yeah, well, it is. A, a, the phosphorus is is what gets out of whack here fast if you're not careful. High or low? High. You can you can oh, start yeah. getting way too high on phosphorus. Yeah. So that's something we watch for. We try to not not you know keep a certain tonnage per acre that we do every other year or so, and uh, but uh, yeah, so we get the litter from that. And then our layer operation. So, so this is kind of a neat thing that's complemented our operation. So we have two barns end to end. So our pasture requirement is 50 acres of chicken proof pasture per end. So we have, and they get rotated. We have 16 paddocks. So they get rotated through there. And when they're not in a paddock, we can, we have a hundred acres of the most bomb proof sheep fence that you've ever seen. So we run sheep to there. We can put lambs in there when we weed them. We can put rams in there. Gives us some flexibility as far as, you know, yeah. doing some more stuff with the sheep. So that's cool. That's really neat. And that, do you have any predator issues with birds? Oh, on the very tree? much. Yeah. That's, yeah a, that, that's the only reason I, every time I looked into anything like that, it was always the, the birds scared the heck out of me. Yeah. We got, we got uh, plenty of raptors. Oh, we have plenty of raptors here. That's honestly, they're a bigger problem than coyotes are. I'll be darned. We've, do they get your lambs too, or just the chickens? No, we've never seen. We get bald eagles here in the winter. They overwinter here. I've seen uh, one of those pick up a mature cold dead you. We had a dead you, I mean, 150 pound you, and picked it Good up and flew grief. it over my foreman's head. <laughs> oh, wow. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. So, so hawks, hawks would be our biggest problem here. Just yeah. that, that's our biggest issue. Yeah. But they don't seem to bother the sheep that much. I, I've never seen them anyway. Oh, you're keeping them fed. Yeah. <laughs> True <laughs> that. <laughs> but actually, vultures, vultures are a problem. Really? Yeah. On the live have, ones. Yeah. We have the, uh, we have an invasive, uh, so we have the redheaded, I don't know, I don't know the scientific name, but the, like that's what we got yeah, yeah probably similar to what you have but we have a short-tailed black buzzard that came out of africa those things are huh. they are crazy they'll actually kill they'll kill a live lamb i'll be done gang up on it and peck its eyes out and but they're aggressive i mean our our but, ravens will do that to us really yeah the ravens will come in there and do that but. so we can actually get permits in calving season that we yeah. can we can take care of them if we need to that's so good. it I mean, we have to deal with it, but yeah, that as far as them versus eagles, we probably have lots more problem with the vultures. I'll be darned. So uh, you 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 mentioned there the phosphorus gets out of whack on our our ranches. We we can't get enough phosphorus a lot of times. Really? Yeah, we're that's that's what we love, especially on our irrigated pasture. 
So wow. when we were spreading commercial, we'd do 11.52.0 was what we were spreading. Oh, wow. <laughs> we were pouring it on. But well, um, chicken would be a great fit for you. I know. Well, we, we were looking at some out there. Uh, we, were, we got chicken houses out in Petaluma. We were working on getting some. But yeah. Anyway, with fuel prices and everything this year, yeah. we decided to take a break from spreading yeah. <laughs> just to save some money. But um, yeah, well, that that is really neat. Um, and you mentioned on the cattle, you got Bra- Brahma, Brahma cattle, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you use any beef master or anything like that? No, that's something. Uh, we actually had a beef master bull that we brought in, which, which he got infected with the trick disease. So we had to get rid of him. But that's a nasty bugger. Yeah, that is. We're just still working through the the uh, the results of that stuff. But so no, we actually we're really pursuing the red Angus genetics, yeah. and with some heat tolerance, uh, Mashona yeah. mixed in a little bit. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing. A little bit more docile animal that they feed a little better too. Yes, for the yard, it'd be they, a little more attractive. Handle the heat just a little bit better than a black-headed cow does. So we're really pursuing that avenue right now. Uh, I, I'd like to get into some beef master. I see a lot of good stuff about them. We've just never pursued it. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> back to the back to the sheep. How do you market them, or how do you? What do you do with you? So different, various different ways, uh, some to the auction barns, uh, we've made some connections now. So we're, we're only three hours from the DFW area, which would be Dallas. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. So not too bad. So we've made some connections with some ethnic buyers that have their own slaughterhouses. So we've been doing that. Some we'll just send loads. They'll come and pick them up and so we have a couple op- options as as far as how to how we can go with them. And who who's uh or how how do you like that market or how how have you seen that or what what's your kind of what's your market re- yeah but what's your kind of market report on that since you've been you know over the last five years and you know are you well, you happy with it is it good yeah. is it yeah. <laughs> And it's I still remember, good, right? Yeah, I remember we started. We sold eighty dollar lambs, eighty to hundred, and we thought, no, that wasn't killer, but no, we can we can make this work. Which this was light lambs, you no know, forty yeah. to sixty pounds, but now we can sell that same lamb for two hundred. Which I know everything else has gone up, but no, I think the market's huh. strong for us right now. And are you selling lambs right now, or have you? Well, uh, we sold we sold our last fall lambs a few weeks ago, so we we don't have any any held over. So we have we have a fall a group that lambed in the fall in October, and then most of our ewes will lamb in in March and April. So we sold the last of those lambs. Uh, they were kind of the tail end. So we yeah. got a bunch of you know 30, 40 pounders on the ground, but nothing yeah. nothing sellable yet. Do you, do you see that cheap industry in the South growing and is it, it a sustainable? It yeah. certainly could. We've been trying to get more people interested. It'd just be better for everybody. It'd be better for us. It'd be better for, oh, yeah. we have more of a thing going on in the area. I think there's a huge, a huge uh, place for it here in our area. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a lot of old time cattlemen that think sheep are, some something only hippies and whatever do so. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know. I yeah. can't. I don't know for sure if it'll grow that much or not. But we have well, our challenges. I mean, so that clover that you grow, that's natural, right? Yeah, all natural. 
Yeah. See, that's, that absolutely blows my mind. I mean, you're talking about three foot tall clover yeah, it's, it's with, crazy. with leaves the size of quarters. <laughs> I mean, it, it is unbelievable. It's, it's the awesome feed down feed. There. Yeah. I mean, and that is built for sheep feed. And yeah, like you're saying, you get these cow ranches that, that go monolithic grassland and all you end up with Bermuda. I, know. I mean, the lack of production and I mean, even just gains on your cattle, you're giving up so much. And that, that's what I've tried to tell people that I've visited with. I said, you guys need to understand instead of spending money, you can, you can buy some sheep and, and I know you have to spend on fencing and a little bit of infrastructure, but if, if you really want to get the most out of your land, I just tell people that I really feel that sheep have a place in this area. And we're actually, believe it or not, we're in a big cattle producing area right here yeah. in a 50 mile radius. We have lots and lots of cattle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're pretty close to Missouri, right? Yeah. Well, and we're that, on the there... south end. We're about four hours from Missouri. Yeah. But Missouri is one of the largest yeah. cattle states. I mean, you got North Dakota and your big yeah. ones, but Missouri's right up there with some of the yeah. biggest, biggest cow ranches around. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I've just, I can't believe how much opportunity there is there in the sheep down South. It's just, but you yeah. got to work for it. You do have to yeah, do a little work because right. a lot of that old infrastructure is gone. So you got to rebuild yeah. a lot of it. But And a lot of people, we talk about sheep too. They're like, you know, there's old timers here that had sheep, but oh, they had wool sheep and I don't know what they had, but they have no memories of having to shear and there wasn't enough yeah. sheep here to get a good shear in. And, and so they have all these negative connotations about sheep. And, yeah. and I think that if they look at it in a, in a different light, where well, I think the hair sheep for us are probably the only thing that'll really work here, given our climate. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, and uh, yeah, those are definitely all challenged the core. Like if you go into some wolves, wool sheep down there, they'd have to be coarse wolves. Mm-hmm. And if you had coarse wool, you got to share them. And if you have to share them, your wool's worthless because the coarse wool market's in the <laughs> So I mean, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of work, but at the same time, you got these developing breeds that are just amazing. Yeah. And that the the I've always my grandpa always taught me that like you're a grass farmer first, right? That's mm-hmm. you're using the livestock to harvest what you're growing. And what you're growing is grass. And man, when you throw sheep and cows together, you can really do a lot. You know, you really oh. expand the the value or the production. Yeah. 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 Well, Turn believe me, no- I, I, I get pretty envious of some of the lambs that you wean off. We don't, we don't get those weaning weights here. We well, just, we uh, got wool sheep though, too. I got yeah, pictures I of Sharon. You can look at <laughs> and say like, I don't got to do none of that work. <laughs> it all works out, but yeah. Well, the la- last thing I want to ask is, um, is who, who were some of like the, the really important players or inspirations in, in kind of getting you to where you are today? Like who, you know, who do you look up to? Who'd you learn a lot from? Who do you know? What do you, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, various people, I would, I'll just say this, our West coast trip where we got to meet you, we met you, uh, we met, uh, Robert and Jamie, um, I guess they're not too far from you. Uh, Chaos Sheep Company. Uh, yeah. We met a young man by the name of Cody Wood up out of Oregon. We visited the Wall Ranch. Uh, those, I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time at any of those places, but just made some connections. Yeah. Uh, Jill Hackett from Ferndale yeah. uh, is somebody we've kept tabbed with. I think you may know her. Yep. And uh, got just, some of the prettiest Ferndale oh, sheep in the country. Oh, those oh, things oh, are amazing. That, she has an amazing place there. Yeah. And just honestly, social media, 
yeah. uh, connection through social media is uh, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, a lot of inspiration, just reaching out to people, even people from New Zealand. We're yeah. actually currently in, in the process of getting hooked up with a, uh, a, a mapping and uh, uh, what, what would we call a record keeping software that's fresh, new out of New Zealand. And we'll be the first one in the U.S. to implement just just some connections that we made. And this all went through social media that these yeah. connections It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It's such a it's such a crutch for so much, but it's also unbelievable how connected you are to oh, everything. It it's really cool when you when you got an idea or project, being able to get it done is yeah. you can do it nowadays. That's pretty neat. Well, that's awesome. Well, I I can't thank you enough for your time today, and and thanks for sharing the little bit of your corner of the yeah, world with my, my pleasure. And I don't know if it made sense to anybody, but we just love what we do, and yeah, I, it was a pleasure to get on here and just. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, at least, you know, I'm out of here on the West coast, kind of in a traditional type system. And, and a lot of the people I know are traditional type growers. And, and, um, well, I think we've seen a lot of decline in that over the years. And mm-hmm. what I get so excited talking to you about is, is you're kind of on the, the frontier of this absolutely exploding industry of the, these kind of this, you know, the light lamb, ethnic lamb, whatever you want to call it, but this you know, the, the, the hair sheep and kind of reclaiming some of these old lands that have been kind of, you know, cattle grazed or not, not. And I mean, I got cattle too. It's, it's not a knock on cattle. It's just, you're, we're turning over this grass resource into such a beautiful productive thing and sheep are such a huge part of it. And, and I think, I don't know. It was really good to talk to somebody that's excited and enthusiastic and, and, um, you know, is growing the industry. I mean, you're a testament. You said over five years or five, six years ago is when you got your yeah. sheep. Yeah. So, and then now you're, you know, you're running a good number of sheep. It's not, you know, <laughs> if you, you're bigger than most California ranches. You know, <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but we, yeah. we like to continue expanding. We, we see for us, that uh we can up our numbers even more from what where we're at so we're excited about that yeah i think in california it's something like 93 percent or 94 percent of producers of less than 200 sheep or something like that like it's wow yeah i mean there's a yeah once you get over four or five hundred sheep you're 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 raising a lot of sheep yeah yeah well cool well thank you very much for coming on uh If anybody wants to listen or follow you, they can follow you at at O-Z-A-N Ozan Creek Farms. That's correct. Plural or singular? Plural. Plural. Ozan Ozan Creek Creek Farms Farms on Instagram. Yeah. So check them out and follow Travis and shoot him a bunch of questions and flood his (laughs) inbox and we'll we'll go from there. But thanks for coming on, Travis. I really appreciate it. It was good catching up with you. Oh, absolutely. We got to, I, yeah, I, that was a fun trip when you came out and it's a good yeah, chat. I got to do it again sometime. I got to yeah. get out to Arkansas. So yeah, hunt us up next yeah. time. We're in East, right? Come on out. We got, I'll be in, I'm going to be in Nashville or South of Nashville in July. So I, okay. I won't make it all the way to Arkansas, but we're going to, my daughter's got friends in Georgia. We're visiting. Okay. And we're going to shoot, well, shoot up. If and, you're ever in there, you, you, you know, to stop. Yeah, if we get time, but that's like six more hours on the drive. I don't yeah, think we can quite make it. So. <laughs> we'll fix you some good sweet tea, and we'll go look at we'll go look at knee deep clover. Ah, there you go. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, Travis, take care. We'll see you. Bye. Right. Bye.